Hey, Ultrasounds listeners, would you like a chance to win a $50 Amazon gift card? Fill out a feedback survey. More info at the end of this episode. Welcome to Ultrasounds, a podcast by OBGYN Delivered. I'm Rachel. And I'm Teresa. Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming Dr. Luke Burns to Ultrasounds to talk about the placenta accreta spectrum. Dr. Burns is a clinical assistant professor of obstetrics and gynecology and full-time laborist at the University of Michigan. He received his medical degree from UC San Diego before completing residency in OBGYN at the University of Michigan. His research focuses on timing of elective induction of labor and medical education. Next year, Dr. Burns will be heading to the University of Chicago to begin his MFM fellowship. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Burns. One thing we like to do is ask our guests what their favorite podcast is. Do you have a favorite podcast? Yeah, I'm a a huge fan of podcasts. I've been really into Freakonomics MD lately, which is with Dr. Jenna, who's a doctor and an economist. And my wife is an economist, so it's like a nice overlap between our two worlds when we're on a road trip we don't we both don't mind listening to that same podcast together i'll have to add that to my to be listened to list it's great it's really good (laughs) so i already gave the diagnosis away for most of our vignettes today since i told you we're going to be talking about placenta accreta spectrum but keep listening because there's still a lot to learn so pas which is probably what i'll call it for short used to be a pretty rare diagnosis, somewhere between 1 in 4,000 and 1 in 2,500 deliveries in the 70s and 80s. But it's becoming increasingly common, up to 1 in 500 births in the 2000s, and now we're in the 2020s, so it could be even higher. Um, And we'll talk about why that might be. But first, let's get into some vignettes. Sure. So we can start with our first vignette. So we have a 29-year-old G6P3 at 21 weeks and three days. She's moved from out of state and is presenting to your clinic to establish prenatal care. As you discuss her obstetric history, you learn she has had two DNCs for elective termination. Her first child was delivered by C-section for arrested descent, and she has since elected to have repeat C-sections for her other two children. From outside records, her prenatal labs were normal, but her anatomic survey ultrasound was abnormal and reports disappearance of the utero-placental interface. How would you counsel this patient? Alrighty. So first things when I read this vignette, I want to point out a couple things I picked up on in her obstetric history. So it said she had two DNCs as well as three C-sections now. And so that's kind of a lot of um, risk factors for uterine scarring through the C-sections when you're kind of um, cutting into the uterus as well as the DNCs. Other causes of scarring you could think about when you hear an obstetric history is actually like a manual removal of the placenta, um, if that is found in somebody's delivery notes, as well as postpartum endometritis. Don't forget that infection can actually cause scarring. And so what this ultrasound is talking about is actually the interface between the uterus and the placenta. And it's basically saying they can't see that interface very well. Another way you might hear um, it described in an ultrasound report is loss of the clear zone. So I'm not a pathologist, I'm not an embryologist, and I honestly really struggle with these topics, but let's quickly review placenta development so we can figure out what's going on with this patient. So 
The placenta develops from the trophoectoderm. And this happens around day five post-fertilization. And so the embryo is kind of at the blastocyst at this stage. And so the trophoectoderm attaches itself to the surface epithelium of the uterus. And we call this the primary syncytium. This is the pre-lacunar phase. So growth continues to happen. And this trophoectoderm is starting to invade underneath that epithelium, forming what is known as the decidua. And as it's invading, it develops these little lakes called lacunae that merge into trabeculae. So appropriately, this is called the lacunar phase. Then the cytotrophoblast cells from the embryo kind of start pushing their way through this primary syncytium through their finger-like projections, which are kind of the fancy or the common way of saying villi. And these villi then separate the lacunae. So now we have the intervillous space with these villi. And appropriately, this is called the villus stage. And so at this point, the blastocyst has three layers, the inner chorionic plate, and that's the part that's in contact with the original cavity, these villi or finger-like projections that are separated by the intervilli spaces, and then the cytotrophoblast shell in contact with the decidua. So you can imagine there's lots and lots of proliferation going on. This, the villi continue to invade the decidua, and eventually it develops a blueprint of the placenta. And that blueprint is pretty much formed by the end of the first trimester. And so we've formed an interface between the uterus, the placenta, and the fetus. So when you have placenta accreta spectrum, essentially the placenta has gone too far into its invasion in the uterine wall. And so increasing C-section rates in recent years across the country is actually making PAS more common because there's more uterine scarring we're finding in many patients now. Dr. Burns, how did I do? Was that a good explanation? That was outstanding. And yeah, I will say for a lot of your listeners, it's hard to really get a, a good sense of this development without looking at pictures. So I really encourage people who are interested in the placenta. And personally, I have such great interest in the placenta. I think everybody should think it's the coolest organ. I really encourage your listeners to go and, and just do some Google image searches or go look it up to date or even crack open an anatomy textbook uh, and really figure out what's happening because it, it is very, very fascinating. It, I kind of underemphasize just how wild it is that this organ invades the human body. It's not an allograft. It's not a part of the maternal DNA. There is, I mean, it partially is maternal DNA, but it contains foreign paternal DNA. But somehow it causes this local quiescence of the immune system where it invades. And that's just absolutely wild. It's like if I took, you know, if you took your your best friend's, uh, maybe your partner's DNA and then just kind of stuck it underneath your own skin and then your body didn't react to it, all of us would think that's pretty amazing. And in this case, I think it really is important to note what a Goldilocks situation it is that there needs to be enough invasion that the placenta actually, you know, sticks to the decidua and actually invades inside uh, where it's as deep as it's supposed to. Uh, so it can sustain a pregnancy, but not so much invasion that the placenta then becomes stuck. And that's how we get the accretus uh, spectrum. The only one small correction I would make, Teresa, I, I think is just that when we talk about having a history of a, of a um, manual removal of placenta as being a risk factor, it's more to do with the fact that probably suggested there was a focal accreta in that, in that previous pregnancy. And so Whenever a patient tells me, oh, yeah, when they had the, when I had delivered my first baby and the placenta came out, it took the doctors or the midwife a long time to remove the placenta. And then there was a lot of bleeding. It makes me a little bit nervous that she has a history of a focal accreta and that might happen again with this particular pregnancy. That's good to know. Uh, if I can add one more thing, too, I think 
one other big risk factor that we don't talk about very often, but is really important, particularly for people who are going to go into obstetrics and gynecology, is to think about the, the risk factor of placenta previa. Anyway, and, and just to remind your, your listeners, anybody might have forgotten, that's when the placenta covers part of or all of the internal cervical loss. And so any kind of abnormal placentation like that should clue you into something not quite being right with this placenta. Maybe that there was a, an abnormal component of endometrium and I had to kind of crawl away from it, or maybe it wasn't getting, uh, it, wasn't, it was invading kind of inappropriately, or it wasn't invading, it was invading a scar that wasn't giving it sufficient gas exchange, so it kind of needed to expand, and that made it cover the internal os. Whatever the cause, anybody who has an, a history of a, of a, even who does not have a history of a C-section, but has an isolated previa, is already has an increased chance of, of having a, a placenta accreta. And there's, there's a, a series of numbers that a lot of OBGYN residents and some MFM fellows will memorize, but you don't need to memorize this for your, your shelf exam or for step one or step two. But you might just be interested to know that an isolated previa is associated without any history of C-section. An isolated previa is associated already with about a 3% chance of an accreta. That jumps to 11% if you have a history of one C-section and then 40% with a history of two C-sections. So if you're on labor and delivery and you're that med student who's asked to go see that new patient who is before, who is attempting a trial of labor after C-section, for example, has a history of two C-sections and was diagnosed with a previa. Well, in this case, they shouldn't be actually having a trial of labor if they have a previa. But if they, in any case, you notice that history in the patient, you should be very clued into the fact that this patient has a, a really high uh, pre-chance probability of having a placenta accreta uh, at some degree. I'm going to store those numbers away in my brain as I get ready for residency. 3, 11, 40, and then it goes to 60 or something. A, it's really easy. It's from, a, it's from one of the, the uh, milestone papers that are easy to find online. Thank you for those kind of pearls for us to be thinking about as we're on the wards. Um, and we can jump into our second case. So we have a 29-year-old G6P3 at 39 weeks and three days gestation presenting to labor and delivery for a planned 4P C-section. You have a smooth delivery of a healthy baby boy and move on to delivering the placenta. Despite having adequate traction on the placenta, you're encountering more resistance than you have in previous C-sections. What is most likely going on in this C-section? Okay, so this basically sounds like our previous patient, except she's now in labor and delivery and she hasn't been diagnosed with placenta accreta syndrome or spectrum yet. So, you know, if I'm if I'm an intern next year and... I'm ha having this C-section. This is when I like look to the attending and start panicking. But um, you might, you're probably encountering more resistance because the placenta is abnormally attached to the uterus. And so this is undiagnosed placenta accreta spectrum. Um, if you recall, the placenta is a highly, highly vascularized organ and approximately you know, 600 cc's of blood are going to the uterus and this placenta every minute. So if you yank off this placenta off the uterine wall and kind of rupture all those blood vessels, you can imagine how much bleeding could happen. And there's a really high risk of hemorrhage and mortality. So when you encounter an undiagnosed PAS, this is actually quite an obstetric emergency. And the best practice that we've learned over years is to actually leave the placenta in sight to reduce that risk of hemorrhage, stitch the uterus closed, you know, after you've delivered the baby, stitch the uterus back closed, and then perform an emergent hysterectomy. Dr. Burns, how would you approach this situation? Well, I think, Teresa, your, your gut reaction to kind of 
treat it really seriously and get more people in the room is a really, really good first instinct. And it's a great question because I think that we like to be able to manage placenta accreta spectrum. We're doing better in the country and around the world at diagnosing it early, but certainly frequently, the first time we realize that somebody might have it is when we're in the operating room um, or in, in the, the delivery room. So usually the placenta should really detach with minimal resistance. It's kind of one of those things that after you've delivered a hundred placentas, you'll know pretty much at that point how hard you should be pulling. And if it's not releasing, or if you notice that it's releasing with a, a big influx of bleeding, which is a little bit scary, that should really make your spider senses start to tingle a little bit. If you have any suspicion whatsoever, uh, like in the case of this patient who's had three prior C-sections, it's important to stop pulling straight away and get more people in the room and stop acting like this could indeed be placenta accreta spectrum. The next thing that you can do is to do a detailed assessment of the uterus. So if, say, we're in a laparotomy situation, which by which I mean somebody's just had a cesarean delivery, you know, anybody who's been a part of a cesarean delivery knows that commonly the uterus is delivered um, after the baby is de after the baby is delivered. So it gives you a chance to really take a, a really good look at the uterus um, as it sits, uh, kind of sits on the top of the abdomen. You might see things like parasitic vessels that are close by um, where a previous uh, C-section scar might have been. Maybe even invading into the bladder, you might see the uterus bulging or, or thinning anywhere else that it shouldn't be. Um, and then if you feel confident, one thing you could try is very, very gently to find a plane between the decidua and the placenta. I should say, don't do this if you have any suspicion, but one thing that I often do when I have a resident who is saying, you know, this placenta is not, not delivering easily, is when I do my exam, I try to develop, see if I can feel if there is a different uh, a different plane between the placenta and the decidua, or are they completely fused together? If they are fused together, then it really raises my suspicions for accreta spectrum. Um, and then at that point, obviously, it's time to call for backup. A follow-up question on that. So if you kind of encountered this situation where someone was having a vaginal birth and the placenta is not delivering, how do you respond to that situation? It's similar, but instead you do a lot more feeling than you do looking because you obviously can't look at the uterus in that situation. One thing that I would recommend doing then is calling for an ultrasound in the room. We talked a little bit earlier about some of the of the imaging findings that you might see kind of months ahead when you're when you're screening for placenta accreta spectrum. This is what the MFMs do, the maternal fetal medicine specialists do, particularly in patients who are at higher risk for placenta accreta spectrum. Things that you might see would be like abnormal lacuna lakes. You would see percent uterine thinning. You might see some bulging into the bladder and a whole bunch of other findings. The chance of seeing those at the bedside immediately after a delivery with your little bedside ultrasound um, without the presence of a, of a radiologist or an MFM in the room are pretty low, but it would at least give me a little bit more of a picture of what might be happening. Certainly, uh, I would call. One, the question is, what would I do? I would definitely call a lot of people into the room. I think that's a really good lesson for anybody. Just like Teresa's gut instinct told her, tell your attending, tell your anesthesiologist, tell the nursing staff. You just need some, some people in the room to help you out. Awesome. Thank you. So we can move on to our third case here. So um, we have a 29-year-old G6P3 who underwent an emergent cesarean hysterectomy due to undiagnosed placenta accreta spectrum. Following your institutional protocols, her uterus and placenta is sent to the pathology lab, and the report states placental tissue extending into lower uterine segment. What is the diagnosis in this case? Great. So we have talked a lot about placenta accreta spectrum thus far in this episode, but let's dive into what it means to be a spectrum. So it, it's called a spectrum because there's actually differentiation in how deep the placenta is invading. 
and rather than invading the myometrium, rather than just attaching to the decidua like it's supposed to. So there's three different types. I'm going to go through each one and then I'll give you a little memory trick that I have used. So placenta accreta is when the villi adhere to the myometrium. And so A for adhere for accreta. In creta, they actually invade the myometrium. And so I think I for invade and in creta. Per creta, the villi actually go through the myometrium. So they perforate or they penetrate the myometrium. And this is really full thickness invasion. So P for perforate or penetrate, however you like, and per creta. Another memory trick that might be helpful in addition to kind of the alliteration I just mentioned is that the depth of invasion is actually in alphabetical order. So accreta, increta, percreta is AIP, and depth of invasion is actually in that order. Now, going back to what the pathology report says for this patient, it sounds like she actually has placenta increta because it has extended into the myometrium, um, but it hasn't technically gone through the myometrium. And when I was a clerkship student, I remember you know, feeling like a lot of my standard standardized exam questions were focusing on differentiating accreta, increta, and percreta. But practically, I think, you know, we think about this more as a spectrum and not hard to find separate diagnoses, possibly because it really takes a pathology report to nail down which of these three it is. So definitely important to know for your exams. But I think when you're on the wards and you see placenta accreta spectrum, you can have a larger understanding of what that diagnosis means. Dr. Burns, what do you think? I think that's wonderful. That's a really good way of, of defining it. We are kind of moving a little bit more further away from using the phrase, the, the terms accreta, increta, and percreta, just in daily speech, as we start to learn a little bit more about what uh, placenta accreta spectrum is. I think it's really important, like you mentioned, that it is a spectrum, and so it's not very easy to define in every single circumstance. And certainly some accretas are just focal, right? They don't actually affect the entire uterus and uh, decidual or the entire surface of the placenta, but they affect just portions of it. In fact, we're kind of starting to, to think about placenta accreta spectrum, even in, as though it were a cancer. So you, you guys might've heard of the FIGO grading schema that we use for cancers, particularly in the gyne-onc world. Uh, we have something similar for placenta accreta spectrum. So grade one describes an accreta, Grade two describes increta, grade, th grade three describes percreta, and then we can subclassify grade three even further, depending on which, which organ is being invaded. Um, as far as how we would kind of suspect the diagnosis before we got to that, uh, the point of actually the time of delivery, we mentioned a little bit earlier about doing some ultrasonographic criteria. Um, like I said as well, too, sometimes grossly we can tell just by how much is being invaded just by looking at the invasion when we are doing the actual laparotomy. So if someone's just had a cesarean delivery, if the invasion is bad enough, you can actually often see the placenta coming through the bladder or even invading other organs, which is really scary. You'll notice if you've been in any of these, these situations before that when we among the people that we call to the room is often the gynecology, oncology doctors, depending on where you practice in the US, but that's pretty common. And that's just because when the placenta invades, it so closely resembles cancer and it so densely adheres to everything. And it has such a high propensity to bleed that we really need those doctors who are, who are used to dealing with that kind of invasive tissue to be present, to be helping us to deliver, uh, to perform that cesarean hysterectomy. I have had the pleasure of 
and scariness of being in a couple cesarean hysterectomies and the MFMs and gynox in that situation are just incredible and doing their fastest and best work. I think that's a really important point to make too, is that the best way to manage placenta accretus spectrum is to be ready to manage it before it even happens, right? To prevent the scary stuff from happening. So we do that by diagnosing it early. You know, these patients that have high risk factors get their ultrasounds at around 20 weeks, which is pretty typical. And at that point, even then, we can start to see some signs of symptoms of invasion. If they have a previa, obviously that makes us even more anxious. And then you'll note that typically we deliver these patients early. We usually deliver, we have to deliver them in a tertiary care center with uh, all the people who need to be there. So that's the, not just the obstetricians and the anesthesiologists, but also the gynecology oncologist or whoever it is that performs these uh, cesarean hysterectomies at your institution. And then what's really crucial is that we must always have lots of blood on hand, right? We think about, and I don't just mean pack red blood cells, but also the other products that we talk about with blood, like fresh frozen plasma and platelets, because we're, these patients are going to have a very, very high level of bleeding and the likelihood that they do not need blood products is very, very low. So that might be one of the answers you might see in one of your USMLE or shelf exams is that you you might, you know, how do you prepare for this? Certainly one of the answers might be that you have, you've delivered a tertiary care center that has adequate um, professional support and blood products to help uh, this patient survive what is a really ultimately a very dangerous and like Teresa says, a very, very scary scenario to be in. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Burns, for giving us your expertise today. That concludes our vignettes for this episode on placenta accreta spectrum. Thanks. And to our audience, thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to Ultrasounds wherever you get your podcasts. For more high-yield topic reviews and recent news, you can also follow us on Instagram or Twitter at OBGYN underscore delivered, or find more topic review outlines and free question banks at our website, www.obgyndelivered.com. And always remember, we put in the labor so you can deliver. Hey listeners, thanks for listening to this episode of Ultrasounds. Would you like the chance to win a $50 Amazon gift card? Fill out our feedback survey linked in the description of this podcast. Make sure to complete all questions in order to be eligible for the raffle. Participation in this survey is voluntary and responses will be used to better ultrasounds for audience members like you. The survey takes less than five minutes to complete and will invite you to enter into a raffle for a $50 gift card upon your submission. OBJN Delivered appreciates your feedback.